Thank you for listening to the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. If you enjoy the show and want to support us, the best ways are to leave a five-star review and subscribe on your favorite platform. And follow us on Twitter or Instagram at lunchpailguys underscore. And welcome to the Lunch Pail Guys podcast, the second episode of the 167th week of this podcast. If you want to help us keep going strong, um, as Bart said at the conclusion of the previous episode, smash the download button as it really helps us out or gently press it if that's what you prefer. Um, but let's get into it. LeBron James is chasing history. We, re- we are recording this on Tuesday. So by the time that this comes out, potentially he will have become the leading scorer in NBA history. But I feel like we have not seen wall-to-wall coverage of this this record chase. Aiden, do you feel like the record chase has received the attention it deserves or no? No, it, it hasn't. Um, you know, points are the central basketball stat, right? Like if you score more points, you win the game, regardless of whatever your PER or box plus minus is. Um, so, <laughs> and LeBron, yeah, is about to become the all-time leader in, in that. And it's obviously a longevity stat to some degree, but as I think we've discussed on this podcast before, longevity stats are an indicator of how consistently dominant someone has been, in this case, for LeBron. And LeBron has also been efficient here. You know, he's on pace to reach the mark 100 games before Kareem, which is kind of crazy given some of the absurd stat lines Kareem put up. And in fewer field goal attempts, which is, you know, maybe helped by the three-point line and the fact that Kareem made one three-pointer in his entire career, fun fact, um, though the line was just introduced like halfway through his career anyway. But still, so like why has it, uh, why hasn't it received kind of the attention that it deserves? I think there are a few things. For one, we're a bit spoiled by LeBron, like, oh wow, LeBron did another amazing thing. Um, and also LeBron reaching this has just been a foregone conclusion for a while, I feel like. Um, which makes us appreciate it a bit less. Like, take Albert Pujols' you know, chase for 700 homers over the summer. A lot of attention, I feel like, was there because coming into the year, we didn't think it was going to happen. So that made the the chase like a more compelling storyline because it was surprising to some degree. Um, and, you know, given how good LeBron has been the last couple of years, I don't think there was a whole lot of doubt that he was going to reach this eventually as long as he stayed relatively healthy. So that makes it a bit less headline-grabbing. You know, and I I think another thing that contributes is that it's been a fairly tumultuous year or past couple years for LeBron and his team. You know, they've he's been good, obviously. He's been stellar. But the Lakers this year and last have been dramatic because they're the Lakers and they're they've been a largely disappointing team. So like a triumphant storyline like this, I feel like works a bit better if your team as a whole is doing a bit better. Um, And the last thing I'll say is that I think it's not getting as much hype because, like, for a stupid reason. And that's NBA volume stats are kind of hard to track because they're just so high. The numbers are just so large. Um, It's hard to track someone chasing a record. You know, like, who remembers that the NBA scoring record is 38,387 points? Um, You know, it's a lot easier to remember 755 homers or whatnot. So you have to do a lot of math, a lot of long division to figure out how close LeBron is to kind (laughs) of reaching the record. Um, and so that, that I think kind of takes yeah. away from the, the chase monitoring too. Um, but yeah. 
to your point about them being bad, I saw some people saying that he he, he needs 36 points against the Thunder. <laughs> I saw people saying they might lose this game. Mm-hmm. And if they're losing near the end, he's deliberately going to try to not get it because it's sad to get it like in a game yeah. where you're losing, especially against in the game where you're losing. And so with the Lakers, that's like a very real mm-hmm. concern. It's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree, Aiden. I, the way I thought about it is I think like people love a comeback story more than like a coronation there's just there's just the element of LeBron fatigue where, like you said, with the Pujols chase, it kind of came out of nowhere. He was faded into obscurity a little bit, Pujols was. Then all of a sudden, the chase for 700 was super fun. Um, I think it's mostly just LeBron fatigue and the way that like NBA stardom, the way the NBA stardom is, and it's pretty hard to avoid LeBron, and he's been playing well. Um, I personally, though, think it's easier to root for LeBron now that the Lakers stink, just because it's... <laughs> it's He's going for records at this point, and he's just he's just out there balling and having fun, and it's he's not a threat to your favorite team really anymore, you know, because the Lakers stink. So I think it's a little bit easier to root for him now, actually, in in his twilight, the twilight of his career. I agree, and I think we need to mention the I don't know. I feel like I'm on this high horse on this podcast a lot. The the Michael Jordan bias in the media <laughs> type of narrative. So I think there like, and while I like joke about that, I think there is like a a sense among like. NBA media figures who are all of a certain age at this point um, that like Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time and there's nothing that can ever be done to dethrone him. So like, well, I don't think there's like any like intentional, like, like conspiracy to like, like uncrown like LeBron or anything like that. I think it's like, okay, it's like, well, it's this record, but it's just a longevity stat and stuff like that. So it's like, there's almost this like box that LeBron can never fit into. And no matter how many records he breaks, he'll just get like never, get the recognition because so many people in basketball media are like of a certain age where it's like Michael Jordan is their hero and nobody's ever going to pass him. Yeah. Regardless of whatever stats they accumulate. That's how we're going to be for LeBron. And I don't know, 10 years from now, I don't care. 15 years. I I will gladly take up that mantle. I will (laughs) gladly take up that mantle. He also just jumped into, I think it was fourth on the all time assists list. Yeah. Which obviously is not as, as important, but like, it's just crazy. It is. The fact that he's, yeah. like, however old he is and still balling out like he is is, like, yeah. insane. Like, I don't think his performance this year, like, I know he was an all-star, but, like, I don't think his performance this year has gotten, like, enough credit. Like, he's averaging 30 points per game this year, 8 rebounds, and 7 assists. Like, that's, like, close to prime LeBron numbers, mm-hmm. and he is 38 years old. Like, but that's that's the I, crazy I thing that... about the coverage is it's it's I know that we like a comeback story, but is it is this not better than LeBron James like grinding it out in year twenty three, averaging eleven points a game, and then all of a sudden he breaks it? Like this is I know that the Lakers are not winning, which of course makes them boring, but this should be a, a historic moment for the NBA and most of sports viewers out there. We. We saw the wall-to-wall coverage with Steph Curry when he was going to break mm-hmm. the three-point re- uh, mm-hmm. record. <clears throat> they would cut away mm-hmm. from other games from different sports so we could watch mm-hmm. Aaron Judge bat so he Aaron could go Judge. out there. and, and, and But LeBron James is going to break the all-time scoring record that is that has been up there for years, for I think, what, over 20 years now? Like, the, it, and, and nobody cared. Nobody's talking about it. That, and that's insane. And I know that... I know that everybody here on this podcast can admire the work that LeBron James has done, but it is 
it is like pretty I'm just gonna say disrespectful for most major media members, especially the Michael Jordan stands out there that well, Michael Jordan could have done that if he played and <laughs> Michael Jordan would have four of threes a game. If he did it, he'd have the all time scorer. Get real. He didn't do it, and LeBron James is, and we should be as <laughs> basketball fans and historians mm-hmm. appreciative of his of his body of work and not just continually try to break the man down and put, move him out of a different box. I mean, if that's truly the source of this, that's stupid. And everybody on TV should be ashamed of themselves. Well, uh, you know how much I love to bring up Nick Wright on this podcast. <laughs> um, so I'm going to just do it again. For all his faults in his football analysis, I do think he is like one of LeBron's most persistent defenders of like, I don't think we recognize like what's going on here and how good he is. Like the fact that like, as I alluded to earlier, like, He's doing all he is, like, when he's 38 years old. Like, even compare that to Michael Jordan at 38 years old. Like, that was when he was on the Wizards. Like, he was just, like, in his couple years with the Wizards, he was, like, just perfectly mid. Like, he was averaging 20 points per game and 22.9 points per game. Field goal percentage was way down from his career average. His career was 49 or .497 from the field. And then he was 445 and 416 in his two years with the Wizards. His career three-point percentage was... 32% 32% in his two years with the Wizards, he was like 18% from three in one year, and then 29%. Like, he is just like objectively fell off when he reached the age that LeBron did. And LeBron's stats, like, not even just the volume ones, but the efficiency ones are still like pretty good at this point in his career. And I think, like, I don't know, and you alluded to it, it's like we've all come to kind of expect, like, expect it to some mm-hmm. extent from LeBron, just because, like, you mentioned, like, oh, he, if unless he gets injured, he's like on pace. But I think there's like, an assumption of LeBron's greatness that like just kind of gets overlooked because it has just been so consistent for 20 years at this point. Are you ready for the biggest Sunday in sports? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 57, has all the Super Bowl action you need. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, all new customers can get in on Super Bowl 57 excitement with DraftKings Happy Hour Super Boost. Check out DraftKings Sportsbook app every day between 6 p.m. and 9 p.m. Eastern to see what prop bets will be boosted. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TPPN. New customers can bet just $5 on Super Bowl 57 and get 200 in bonus bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with codes TPPN. Well, we'll see whether this record gets broken by the time this podcast airs. But um, in other news in the college football world involving our beloved alma mater, Notre Dame, Tommy Reese has, has shunned Notre Dame left and entered the Saban rehabilitation program. Notre Dame is now on the hunt for a new offensive coordinator. Bart, how big of a loss do you think this is for Notre Dame? And who would you like to replace Reese as offensive coordinator? First, I want to do a throwback to when Reese did the little uh, the the talk in the auditorium with the team, and he was like, "I want to win a championship." Uh-huh. See ya. Yeah, come on. <laughs> no, Bye. Honestly, I I don't know. I don't have a conclusive answer to this question. It really feels like we just don't know. I think the, there are valid arguments on both sides of the aisle, and I, I yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean, you have to think about the fact that he's only 30. He's only ever been an offensive coordinator in one place. That was at Notre Dame for these three years. That's all the data we have. So let's let's think about it. Like on the one hand, 
absolutely there are numbers that do not paint him favorably as far as like what the Notre Dame offense did, right? Like I looked at it on average in his three seasons, they were 31st in points per game, 44th in yards per game, 43rd in yards per play. So that's not, not superb. Like the feather in his cap, if you will, was that they were 20th in points per game in 2021. That was his pinnacle. So, you know, that's a bit of a yikes. And then, of course, there were also individual games, right, where the offense sputtered and it kind of called his own coordinator ability into question, like the 14-point output against Stanford this year, 13 points against Cincinnati the year before that. There was a 12-point outing against Louisville the year before that. So stuff like that, you know, it's, it starts to feel like maybe it is on the coordinator. But then on the other hand, obviously, when you try to figure this out, like I think you have to acknowledge the talent on the offense or maybe you should say the lack thereof. It's like the age-old question, was he holding the talent back or was the talent holding him back? Maybe it was both. I don't know. But, like, obviously the quarterback situation was a big thing. He never had a quarterback for more than one season, right? His main quarterback changed every year. And even this past year, his first choice, Buckner, was, went down early. And so he went to Drew Pine. So I think that's certainly something. And on top, or despite that, I should say, the quarterbacks were always solid. They never had a bad season. They were always above average, and they were always efficient at the very least. And I think you have to attribute that to Reese at least a little bit. And then other than the quarterback talent, also just the offensive skill position talent. I looked back at the drafts that happened after Reese's seasons. Obviously, Michael Mayer is an exception, but like Tommy Tremble, third round in 2021, and then Ian Book. And then last year, it was just Kyron Williams in the fifth round. That's all the skill positions that Notre Dame's had, had drafted in the past two years. So like, who was he working with? Compare it to Bama, they have like twice as many guys. So I really don't know. I feel like we're just going to have to wait and see. In lieu of a better conclusion, my opinion is that I am not in a position to question Nick Saban. That's basically what it comes down to. <laughs> like Br- Brian Kelly last year wanted, really wanted Reese to come with him to LSU, right? And then he, he declined that. This year, I'm sure Saban had his pick of the litter. He picked Tommy Reese. I feel like that has to count for something. I think Tommy Reese ultimately was able to say something like, Look at how well I did with like very limited weapons at Notre Dame. Think about what I could do at Bama. I'm not really sure, though. As far as who should replace him goes, I've seen a lot of names thrown out. I think the name that I like the most is Andy Ludwig, the Utah offensive coordinator. Utah's offense has never been bad under him. This past season, they were 11th in points per game. Obviously, two straight Pac-12 championships. Andy runs a pro-style offense, which would theoretically transition well. But like Joe Brady is another name. He hasn't been in college since the LSU season. Byron Leftwich is an interesting one, even though he doesn't really have the college experience. Um, Akron's head coach, Joe Moorhead, is one that people really Mm -hmm. like, apparently. But I have no idea how to account for an Akron head coach and what what he would be able to, you know, how that would transition. I think my favorite of all the weird names floating around is Utah's. (laughs) I mean, what do you know about the Akron (laughs) college football team? Anyway, ultimately, uh, yeah, I don't think think there's any definitive way to answer what Reese brought and what we'll be missing without him we'll have to wait and see how bama's offense looks next year yeah i think it actually could be something maybe similar to the brian kelly situation where it works out for both parties where tommy reese you're right definitely did not have the talent but he also could be partially to blame for not having not bringing in that talent like um somebody brought up somebody on twitter who i forgot who it was but one of those like notre dame fan accounts all of our good quarterbacks have come like since Freeman has been there. So like we got Sam Hartman after Freeman has been there where Tommy Reese theoretically had two seasons before Freeman was the head coach to do something about it. Right. Um, like CJ Carr, our five-star guy who's currently in next year's class, like has committed after Freeman got there. Right. So there's definitely a case to be made that it's more of like the Freeman factor of why we're starting to get a little bit better 
hopefully a little bit better offensive talent and specifically the quarterback position. Um, but yeah, that doesn't mean that like at Alabama, he's not going to really have that problem. He's probably the burden, I guess, on him necessarily recruiting those top guys is probably not going to be as high as it is in Notre Dame. So it could work out both well for both of them where he is really good schematically, let's say. Um, and now that he has the talent, he can actually prove it. Um, a lot of people said that he tried to run an offense that just didn't fit the the personnel that he had basically. So now theoretically you should have access to all the personnel the best personnel basically in the country at Alabama, at least in the top three every year. So there, there's no excuses, like nowhere to hide anymore at this point. I wish him well. I don't have any, like, I don't know. I really have any uh, ill will to even Brian Kelly or for coaches leaving. They just, everybody does stuff in their own self-interest. So I don't have that big of a problem with it. I would, I would also be happy if we got um, Joe Brady would definitely be one of my number one choices. I think that'd be really exciting. The Eagles um, quarterback coach, Brian Johnson, is set to interview as well. That's intriguing um, as well. I don't think that's bad. Um, but yeah, Byron Leftwich I think would be good too. Um, I know that Sam Hartman wants to play, or apparently he wants to play in a pro-style offense as well too, so that might be nice. Sounds like the Utah guy would be a good fit too, though, based on what you said, Bart. Hmm. I do kind of worry, though, in terms of like the what the, like, the meta of this means for Notre Dame. Like, I think it's just like another sort of like reinforcing on the fact that Notre Dame just is a tier below the elite teams. Like the fact that someone like Reese would leave Notre Dame and like what should be a lateral move, mm-hmm. like just an OC position to an OC position and go instead to Bama is like a little concerning. And if like, if it is Reese is this great talent and you know, for everything Barton Jaren said, like, I just, I just don't really know like to just sort of reaffirm whether it's the talent or him or whatever, but it's like, let's just like operate on the assumption that Tommy Reese is like this great offensive mind that we trust Nick Saban and all that. The fact that Notre Dame could not hold on to somebody who could maybe help them get up to that elite level is like, I think it's just another worrying indicator of like the state of Notre Dame football is like, like again, like I don't think like Notre Dame has reason to worry of like becoming completely irrelevant, but I think it's just like another side that Notre Dame is just like outside the elite of college football yeah. at this point like it's not Georgia it's not Bama it's not Ohio State and like maybe there's a couple fluky years like 2018 or 2020 where everything kind of falls in place nicely and they can like make the playoff but like I think it's just another sort of indicator that Notre Dame is just sort of at this point not to say it can't happen in the future like mm-hmm. on the outside of the elite yeah and that's Kind of why I, I want them to get I, one of the higher profile guys like a Joe Brady or a Byron yeah. Leftwich because I feel like it reverses that and brings you like Byron Leftwich obviously done a great year last year, but up until that point was a NFL head coaching candidate. I feel like last offseason. Yeah. So I mean having someone like that, that kind of reverses the narrative a bit and I feel like gives Notre Dame a bit more credibility, hopefully in the recruiting and everything else world. Yeah, I also don't just don't think most teams don't really hold on to their coordinators that long. I mean, Bill O'Brien was on there for a couple, was there for two two seasons. Obviously, he took an NFL job. Steve Sarkeesian wasn't there that long either. Like, I get, I get it could be, but, it could be interpreted definitely as somebody jumping for um, greener pastures. I guess we could say. I think that applies more so in only in the head coaching position though not in the coordinator position where it's really hard to keep them for a long time. I, you don't, I don't think you really should expect to keep them for that long. 
And they're they're always just trying to build their career ladder and prove it, like prove you can do it in a different place, that sort of thing. So I I, I wouldn't I'm not too worried about it from that standpoint, I guess, in terms of oh Notre Dame's not a desirable spot or anything. I think it clearly is. If and if an NFL offensive coordinator is reaching is reaching out to Notre Dame about it, I think it clearly is desirable. Still, I, I saw some. Yeah, I think those are fundamentally. Go ahead. Oh, I think that those are fundamentally different circumstances, though. Like Sarkeesian leaving and Bill O'Brien leaving are like they're not moving, leaving for lateral jobs. Like it's not like one of them took a job at LSU or Georgia that would in some way indicate it's like okay, O'Brien left for a better opportunity in the NFL. Sarkeesian left for a head coaching position. Like if you're a if you're a coordinator at an elite school, you're only going to leave if you get um probably an NFL job or a head coaching job. The fact that Notre Dame has a coordinator that's leaving for a different college program means that it's like far from the top of college football because like somebody sees that there is room to grow within college football. That's not enough. Maybe. I don't know about far. But But I think part of the reason why Alabama is the coaching rehabilitation center is because they recruit so well. And they always have stars. And, of course, Bill O'Brien looks better because he has Mac Jones uh, passing to um, a bunch of superstars as well. And they always have talented players on that team, and that's why coordinators go to Alabama is because they have all of the things at their fingertips. That does not exist at Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame can, however, follow a similar path of the offensive rehabilitation center if they were to bring in a Byron Leftwich, let's say. And specifically on him, he is a shunned coach who was last year getting head coaching candidate uh, opportunities. And then, of course, they fumble and he gets fired. And now nobody's really looking at him, even in the NFL, to replace him. He goes to Notre Dame. He does really well. Transfer quarterback. They do they do really nice things to win a handful of games. Now Byron Leftwich is a, a hot commodity probably goes on to do his own thing i think they can follow a similar path like that um but ultimately the biggest problem in notre dame is that they just don't recruit as well as alabama and i don't think that i don't think that that's a huge indictment on them um because alabama recruits better than literally yeah. everybody else in the country but um i agree with lucas exactly. that people leave alabama to become the head coach of texas and to go into the nfl mm-hmm. yeah. and now other teams and now notre dame is one of those teams who you know coaches are leaving and that doesn't happen at um, an Ohio State or really like a Penn State, you know. And I, I think that there is an indictment there, but um, specifically at Alabama, I don't really think that that's a huge problem. But yeah. Hey, Clark Lee went to Vanderbilt. They did. They did okay this year. <laughs> well, yeah, he left for a coaching job. I don't know. I don't turn that on. Right. Yeah. It is kind of interesting that Bama, like, after, I feel like they had a run of coordinators who were, like, the rehabilitation type, as you were saying, Wyatt, the ones who were, had a head coaching job or something, disappointed, fired, then were hired to, like, kind of recover. Whereas this is a bit of a different hire with Tommy Reese, right? Like, it's a, he's hiring on potential or, you know, whatnot, right? So it's it's kind of an interesting mm-hmm. tact from Bama's standpoint that they weren't going to go hire, mm-hmm. I feel like. Like Byron Leftwich, I feel like would have made sense for Bama to some degree, um, mm-hmm. you know, or just mm-hmm. something kind of along the, the Lane Kiffin, the Bill O'Brien, the you know Sarkeesian, um, track. 
So it is kind of interesting that Saban is going this route instead. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Uh, as always, give us that five-star review. Download if you can. It helps us a lot. Find us on social media at lunchpailguys underscore. That's Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Um, I wanted to call out Nick Wright specifically. I know you're listening. We mentioned you a lot this week. Please <laughs> reach out if you're interested in coming on the show. We would love to have you. Um, as always, thank you for listening, and we will see you all back next week.